Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Well, I want to invite you to take your Bible and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. And we are going to walk through one of the most well-known passages of the Bible. In fact, if you're here today and you would say, ah, faith, church, Jesus, not really my thing. I would guess that even if that is your past and your attitude, I would still say that there's probably a good chance you're aware of this chapter in some way, some fashion. Maybe you've attended a wedding before. Maybe you've seen it on a Hallmark card before. I don't know what it is, but it is a very familiar passage. Is today we're going to dive in talking about love. Now, if I were to ask you the question today, what is love? Some of you would say, Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Huh? Some of you with me? Huh? Sorry, students. That's, that's, that's before you got here. All right. But, but we have all, a lot of un, different understandings of what is love. What does that mean? And today, Paul is going to help us understand what it means. But here's what's important for us to understand. That Paul is going to be writing in a context here of things that he's been saying and things that he's going to say. All right? So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're in just a moment, not yet, but we're going to stand to honor the reading of God's word. But before we do... This coming Friday, as a nation, we celebrate Veterans Day, and we want to do what the Bible says, to give honor to whom honor is due. And so, if you are a veteran in here, if you have served in our armed forces in any way, would you just stand for a moment before the rest of us stand, just so we can give honor to you for how you've served? Awesome. You can stay standing. I'm going to invite everyone else to stand with you. Everyone else stand with you. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians. Go ahead and stand across the room as we honor the reading of God's Word. Chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through the entire chapter. Paul writes, If I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will, I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Lord, today, help us. Help us, God, have a better understanding of what it means to love. 
Lord, we know that your word tells us that you are love. You are the essence of love. You are the culmination. You are all that love is. It's wrapped up in you. Today, God, we understand at the same time that we love because you first loved us. Lord, today, would you grow our affection and our love for you? And as a result of that, would it increase our affection and love for others? God, this is your time. Would you speak to our hearts? We're listening in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, Paul is going to share with us about love being the superior way. As we walk out of here today, one truth that I want you to leave with is this, is that as God shows his love towards us, we should show that love to others. As God shows his love towards us, we should show that love to others. Now, again, I said that Paul here is writing in context, all right? So what is not happening is that Paul is sitting here dictating this letter. Either he's writing it or he's speaking and someone is writing for him. And he's working through these spiritual gifts and issues that are happening in the church. And he doesn't go, wait a second, I haven't given us some good material for weddings. So before I move any further, let me just knock out this love thing so that people will have something for their wedding and then I'll get back to it. That's not what happens. No, what we find here. It's Paul specifically addressing the issue of love as related to spiritual gifts. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know that we've dove into chapter 12 where he's really dealing with this issue of gifts. And we've said, if you weren't here, that we believe that when you come to faith in Christ, the Spirit of God comes and lives in you, and the Spirit of God gifts you in a unique way for the building up of the church. And so Paul has told us in chapter 12 that in our gifts, they're very diverse. We have very diverse gifts, but at the same time, in the diversity of those gifts, we are unified as the body of Christ under the banner that Jesus is Lord. And we talked about how in the uniqueness of the body of Christ that, uh, that there are hands and there are feet and there are eyes and there are ears, and we all play a part. We all have a role to play. But if you remember, what Paul's dealing with in the church, and we can see this from the context of his writing, is that there are those in the church that are, that are prideful over their gifts. They have what they believe are the superior gifts. This is the ability to speak in tongues, the ability to prophesy, to speak on behalf of God. Some would even say from the context of our passage today, those with a teaching gift. And what they were doing is they were not only elevating these gifts, but they were elevating themselves. And you had people who were finding their identity. Hear this, this is important today. They were finding their identity in what they could do. And so they were elevating these gifts because in elevating these gifts, they were elevating themselves because they had this gift. And what we find here is that Paul is going to interject in fact, if you look at the end of chapter 12, you see in verse 31, Paul says, he personalizes here, he says, I'm going to show you a better way. He's talking about these gifts, but he says, I'm going to show you a better way. And he's going to center in on this idea of love. Now we look at all of Paul's writing and we see that he is continuously elevating the notion of love. Whether that's our love for God or love for others. In 1 Timothy 1, he says, I'm writing to you and giving you this instruction um, and the goal of it is love. Galatians 5, he tells us that the fulfillment of the law, it's fulfilled in this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Colossians chapter 3, he says, above all. What does that mean? It means to take priority over everything else. He says, above all, put on 
love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So we know that Paul has a value for love. And today we're going to see how that love intersects with our spiritual gifts. And I would say not just our spiritual gifts, but in the context of today, even with what it is that we do. How we live out our Christian faith. How we put feet feet to what it is that we believe. So, as we consider how God has loved us, I pray that today would stir our hearts to love others more effectively. The first thing I want us to see today is the importance of love. We see this in verse 1 through verse 3. Here he's going to take the notion of love. And he's going to show the reality of these gifts, these superior gifts in the minds of the church at Corinth. And he's going to show how empty they are if love is not present. Verse 1, if I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He begins here seeing the relationship of love to these gifts with what it is that we say. If you're taking notes, you can write that. That love matters with what we Say And so he speaks here, he says, of human or angelic tongues. Some want to give a meaning to those angelic tongues of what it is, and we could spend time talking about that. I don't think that's necessary today because I think Paul here is thinking simply in hyperbole. He's simply thinking of what could possibly be the greatest language out there. What's interesting, when you look at the Bible and you see angels speak in the Bible, what do they do? They speak in a human language, don't they? But Paul here is just thinking of the most lofty way to be able to communicate. And so for those that are boasting in their identity, if they're boasting in having this superior gift, he's saying, listen, if you have that superior gift, but love is not present, what? You're a noisy gong. You're you're an empty noise. He moves on in verse 2. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy... And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Now, here's what we realize. It's more hyperbole, isn't it? That's not a reality. You cannot know that, right? But he says, not just that. If I have all faith so that I can move mountains. So now he's speaking to the person that has that gift of faith. He's saying, if I possess these gifts and not just possess the gift, but have the fullness of gift, in which there is no possible way that that could happen. And he says here at the end of verse 2, But do not have love, I'm nothing. So again, I want you to think of the weight of the person who's finding their identity in their gift. And here he says, if love is not present, I have nothing. It's empty. It's a a shadow. So it's what we say. We see here in verse 2, it's what we know. But then finally, it's what we do. And if I give away all my possessions... And if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So what we say, what we know, and what we do. Immediately hearing this last one, it takes my attention to the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus' time. Right? Jesus was consistently speaking hard things to them. So much so that they wanted to respond oftentimes by stoning Jesus. And some of the sharpest criticisms that Jesus would have for the spiritual elite in those days was this. You're doing a lot of things. And you're focusing on what's happening on the outside. But remember he said you're like a whitewashed tomb. You look good on the outside, but what? There is nothing but death and decay on the inside. 
In fact, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, as he speaks here about giving away all your possessions, right? Jesus said, if you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Jesus was seeing in his own time, as he's walking the streets there in Jerusalem and other places, he is seeing people that are exhibiting what he's speaking to here of verse 3. They are lifting up their gift. They are lifting up their actions. But what Jesus knew is that there was no love behind it. And so he's making the strong point here in the context of these spiritual gifts. That it doesn't matter how important your gift is. It doesn't matter. Hear this. It doesn't matter how maybe sacrificial your gift is. If it is not motivated by love... Paul would say, it's empty. It's of no eternal value. Years ago, before Abby and I were married, I had the opportunity to go with her family on a vacation. We went to Costa Rica. I'd never been to Costa Rica before, never been back. But we got to go to Costa Rica. And we got there, and they had a different type of currency than we have here, right? And what I loved about going to Costa Rica is, like, their currency, like, it took a lot more of things to purchase, you know, what we would here. And so, uh, so right here, I have a bill from Costa Rica. I believe, they, I believe you pronounce it colognes is what they use. And right here is for 2,000 of them, right? And so for a child, you might say, hey, do you want this? It's worth 2,000, right? It's like, 2,000 jackpot, right? But here's the reality. We know that that 2,000 does not have the same value as to our American dollar, right? We understand that. But at the same time, if I were to give this to you today and you were to go to lunch today and you were to try to provide for your family lunch by putting this to the uh, waiter or the waitress, it's probably not going to go over well, is it? They're going to look at you like you're not the smartest person at the restaurant, right? Why? Because you understand that, yes, it is a piece of paper here, a piece of material, right? And, And it has a number that is stamped to it, right? But in this context, in this setting, it is lacking value, right? And I think in a sense, what Paul's trying to point out to these people that are uplifting the superiority of their gifts or the superiority of what they do, he's saying in the same way, if love is not present, boy, you can boast in it, you can hold it up, you can think of yourself better because you have it, but the reality is it lacks value. And so what Paul is going to do now Now that he's reminded them of the importance of love when it comes to their gifts or what it is or how they live out their Christian faith, he's going to address with clarity what are the markers of love. What does love actually look like? So he begins there in verse 4. I'm not going to reread it for now, but, but he begins to list out all these different things about what love is. He's going to describe love in action and in attitude to help us discern the nature of what genuine love looks like. And here's what I want you to catch today is that as you look at this list, Paul is intentionally including every word in his writing here. Now, we know he's inspired by the Spirit of God in his writing. He's being directed by the Holy Spirit. But Paul, as he is making these lists, is not just thinking what is going to look really good on some crocheted thing to hang on the wall, right? Some of you, you've seen that before. Some of you, you've done that before, right? But, or needle stitch, whatever it's called. But, but here's the reality. I believe that when Paul is writing out these markers of what true, genuine love looks like, he is thinking of what's happening at the church in Corinth. 
I couldn't say that for every single one of these, you can draw a direct line to somewhere else in the book of 1 Corinthians, but I do think there are some that you can clearly see that Paul is thinking about, whereas the church in Corinth is failing, Paul is addressing, hey, this is what true love looks like. And so he begins here, right, with love is patient. What does it mean to be patient? The best uh, definition I've ever heard of patience is this, is to wait calmly. Can I tell you when it's hard to wait calmly? When you're a child waiting on an elevator. Are you with me? Right? Again, how many times as a parent or as a grandparent, right? All of us, we've had to say, hey, just hold on. Be patient, be patient, be patient, be patient, be patient. When those doors open, what do they do? The opposite of patience, right? It's like the gun has gone off and the race has started, right? And they're busting on there, right? And there's a, there's a load of people waiting to get off, right? Just be patient. Hold on. Wait calmly. And Paul says the marker of love is patience. And when I lack patience, the reality is it puts me over anything and everyone else. Another marker of love is kindness. He says love is kind. Let me be real clear with you today. Some of you need to hear this. It is not possible to be a loving jerk. Am I right, Mark Finn? You're just being a jerk, right? He says love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. That word arrogant, he's used it and will use it. It's going to be five total times in this letter. You think back about the church at Corinth, even from the very beginning, talking about envy from the very beginning. Remember when we were having to address, some say you're Apollo, some say you're Peter, some say you're Paul, some say you're Christ, right? He was dealing with these, these factions in the church about who was their spiritual leader and what tribe they belonged to. And I believe the envy and the pride and the arrogance that was wrapped up in that. He's addressed issues like in 1 Corinthians 5 where sexual immorality was taking place. And he was saying, you're boasting in it. All these moments throughout, even in their spiritual gifts of the arrogance of, of the giving, he's saying, listen, that is not the way of love. Verse 5, love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. The idea there of record of wrongs, it's the idea of, of keeping score to use it against someone in the future. Some of you today, you need to consider You've been real quick, or you would be real quick to say that you love someone in your life, but if you were to get real honest with yourself, you would say, and I'm pretty good at keeping a record of wrongs against that person, and I'm just waiting for an opportunity to pounce. He says there that love is not irritable. Love, as one commentator says, love, in other words, is not easily annoyed or provoked to anger. It is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Those who love, listen to this, those who love remember their own failings and reflect on the many occasions when they have let others down. Man, it is so easy for us to prop ourselves up and to forget our mistakes and our shortcomings in the past, but to project those things, to project that expectation of excellence and perfection onto others. Paul says that's not the way of love. And then verse 7. Probably the most familiar verse of this chapter. Speaking of love, that it bears all things, 
believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. One person said it this way, verse 7, love never tires of support, never loses faith, never exhausts hope, and never gives up. I hope that you would say in your life that you know someone that loves you like that. They never give up. They bear with you. They walk with you through even the darkest of nights. You know that they're with you in that journey. And so oftentimes, again, we have come to this text. And our understanding of this text is that Paul, writing this beautiful picture here of what love is and what love isn't. But I want you for a moment to put yourself in the seat of the church at Corinth. And to think about some of the firm things that Paul has said to to the church about who they were and the way that they were treating one another and the way that they were behaving in the community. And I would argue that for the church of Corinth, what we may look at and see as this beautiful definition of love as being selfless and seeking the good of others. For the church of Corinth, this would be a striking rebuke. In a sense, Paul is saying, you're You're boasting and finding your identity in the superiority of your gifts. But let's be honest, you are failing when it comes to love. Your lives are marked, church at Corinth, more by the opposite of what I've described here. And it can be really easy for us in this moment to look at that and go, boy, they really blew it. But here's the reality. You, like myself, probably when you begin to read this, you see areas in your life where you fall short. Maybe even this week, of those that you would say and you would believe in your heart that you love them, but you began to look through some of these descriptors and say, boy, that's not a real good descriptor of how I treated them this week. Paul's saying these are the markers of love and what scripture so often does. In fact, this is what the law of the Old Testament was given to us for is it serves as a mirror for us. And when we put ourselves, whether it's here in 1 Corinthians 13 or in the law, we see that over and over again we fail, don't we? We can't keep it. We cannot keep the law. No matter how much I try or no matter how much I convince myself that I love somebody, I look at this passage and I see at times where I treat those that I say that I love, I treat them in a way that the Bible says does not align with love. And this is why for us as believers in Christ, why we cling to the beauty of the gospel. Because in many ways, we could take 1 Corinthians 13 here in verse 4 through 7, and we could take love out, and we could put Christ in its place. Christ is patient. He is patient with us. He is kind towards us. In his forgiveness that is offered through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, the Bible says that he does not keep record of wrong for those that come to him by faith and forgiveness of their sin. It's another reminder for us that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection, that it is critical for our lives, not just for the moment that we say yes and to repent of our sin and to become a child of God, but it's important for us every day of our lives. When I wake up every morning 
And I realize that Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And I think about the reality that the Bible says that we've all sinned against God. All of our lives, we have mess-ups and mistakes, things in our life that go against what God has designed and desires. So it's not just that Jesus would lay down his life for a friend. Jesus would lay down his life for one who has rebelled against him. It is the greatest demonstration of love that the world will ever see. And every morning when I wake up and realize that that gospel of grace, God's unmerited kindness towards me, of him taking on my sin so that I might take on righteousness before him because of the blood of Christ. Every morning when I wake up and realize that that love has been showed towards me, what does it do? One, it stirs my heart to love him more. To love him more. But secondly, it allows these things to begin to flow out of my life. Boy, I may have messed it up yesterday, but there's grace to be found. His mercies are new every morning. And today I'm going to strive to live a life of love that reflects the love that he has shown towards me. And so these markers of love, yes, they give us a beautiful picture of what love looks like. They help us understand, hear this, students hear this. They help us understand that love is more than a feeling. Ladies, when that boy comes to you and y'all been dating for two weeks and he says, I love you, I want you to smack him in the face and say, no, you don't. You don't even know what that means. Don't smack him in the face. All right, don't do that. Because hear me, love's more than a feeling, right, church? Love is a choice. It's an action to put others over yourself. And So we see the beautiful marker of love here, but Paul doesn't finish here. Look with me in verse 8. Oftentimes this first part here gets connected to verse 4 through 7, but it's really a transition to what he's going to finish out here. He, he begins in verse 8 and he says, love never ends. Your translation may say love never fails. It's the same idea here. Last thing I want you to see is the reach of love. Not just the importance of it, not just the markers of it, but I want you to see the reach of it. He says, love never ends. Now, he's going to, at the end of verse 8, and through the end of the chapter, he's going to flesh this out exactly what he means. Listen here. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. Now, let me explain that to you. Paul has the right understanding here. And this is so critical for us, especially in in our culture, in a Bible Belt culture. That these people were rooting their lives and their identity in what it is that they were doing. They were boasting and feeling like they were superior to their brothers and sisters in Christ because they felt they had these superior gifts. And what Paul is going to remind them of here is to say this, listen, that thing that you are elevating to put you over someone else or that thing that you are finding your identity in because you have this gift that has been given to you by the Lord, listen, it's temporary. It's temporary. He mentions here of prophecy. He mentions here of knowledge. I think he would include tongues in there. He just, he just doesn't in this moment. But it's the idea of these gifts that they're elevating. He's saying what? They're partial. 
the partial will come to an end. And when will they come to an end? Look with me in verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes. What's he speaking of here? What does he mean when he says the perfect comes? Well, there's some different arguments that are made. Some believe that he's thinking of when the full counsel of God's word, the New Testament canon is fully formed, then those gifts will go away. But I think what he's speaking of here is simply when Christ comes again. At the second coming. When the Bible tells us that the dead in Christ shall rise, right? And God is going to consummate all things to himself. Everything that was wrong was going to be made right. For those that are in Christ will spend forever with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And those that have not repented of their sin and trusted in the saving work of Christ will be separated from him forever. That at that moment, when the perfect comes, he's saying, these gifts, these things that you're elevating, what? There'll be no need for them anymore. So do you see the danger? Do you see the warning that he's given to these people that you're finding your identity in something that will not last? There are one or two people in this room when it comes to staying in a hotel. Some of you, when you get to a hotel, first thing you do is you get your suitcase out, you open it up and you start pulling your things out and putting them in the drawers. I don't understand you people. I don't. (laughs) I'm not going to ask show of hands because I don't want you to embarrass yourself. I'm just kidding, all right? But that's how you're wired, right? Some of you, you love to walk into the hotel room, and the first thing you do is you go into the closet, or what's called a closet, right? And you get that metal thing with some straps, and you walk over, and you unfold it, and you take your suitcase, and you put it on there, right? Who's with me? Who loves doing that? Anybody love doing that? I love doing that. I love doing it. But can I tell you one observation I've made? I have never in my life seen one of those luggage racks in somebody's home. Never. Now, some of you right now, you're thinking, I'm going to buy one, and we're going to put it in our house, and we're going to invite Michael and Abby to come over for dinner and be like, see, all right, don't do that, all right, don't do that. Why? Why don't you have one of those luggage racks in your house? Because it's only there for a moment. They're not intending for you to move into the hotel to stay. And it's just a nice little thing to put your suitcase on. It is there for a moment. But you wouldn't put it in your home, would you? Paul's trying to help them understand the thing that you're boasting in, the thing that you're finding your identity in, it is only here for a season. And he gives us some illustrations here of that. Look in verse 11 and 12. When I was a child... I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. Now, oftentimes when we hear that verse, maybe some of us have heard that verse, teenagers, maybe you've heard that verse recently from your parents, right? But (laughs) we think of it in a negative sense, right? Put away the childish things. Quit acting like a child. Paul's not saying it here with a negative tone. It's not a negative sense. He's just simply making an observation. There are things that I used to do as a child that I don't do anymore. Why? Because they were for a season. He goes on to say here in verse 12, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. I love this picture here again of Christ's return and the idea of being seen face to face. 
In fact, in Moses, Moses, one of the greatest prophets, right? It was said that at that time, the prophets of God, that they would see in visions and dreams. But for Moses, it would say that he would meet with God face to face. He's saying here that, listen, a time is coming when we will be with him face to face. And there will be no need for these gifts. What is the warning for us today? What does 1 Corinthians 13 have to do with your life today? Here's, here's where I think this centers in on us today. It's because for some of you, the measure of your relationship with Jesus, the thing that you have found your spiritual identity in, is you have lifted up things that you do, and that is where you find your confidence. And what Jesus, I'm sorry, what Paul is saying here to, to, to those in Corinth, these gifts that you have elevated to find your identity in, he's not saying they're not important. He's not saying that they're not useful. He has spoken to that in verse 12. But he's saying you have elevated them to a place that is not healthy. And my fear for you today, right here in Washtenaw Parish, 2022, is that we would begin to look at our spiritual lives and we would begin to think of ourselves and our relationship with the Lord by things that we have elevated and things that we do instead of what is the heart behind it. Listen, if I am busy doing religious things, but those religious things aren't motivated by a heart of love in response to the gospel, that should be a huge warning sign going off in my life. The same sense where Jesus says, there will be those on that day that say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And so what's the call to action for us today? One, it's to reflect on the gospel again. We can talk about love all day long, but if we don't turn our attention to what God has done for us in sending Christ to die for our sins, we'll miss the mark on what true love really is. And my hope today is that if there's never been that moment in your life where you've responded to the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen, not just that the world has ever seen, but the greatest act of love that will ever be directed towards you, then today is the day for you to say, I need to follow Jesus. And if you're here today and you know there's been that moment in your life where you've trusted in Christ, what's the call for you today? I would say from Ephesians chapter 5. He says, therefore, be imitators of God and to walk in love. What does that word walk mean? It means to live it out. You live it out. I want to encourage you this week, would you live love out in a way that you never have? And I hope you've seen today, that doesn't mean go buy a bunch of Hallmark cards and express how you feel. But would you reflect the selfless sacrifice of, that we see in the gospel and the way that you live in your home this week? Would you demonstrate love in a significant way in your workplace this week by what we see in the gospel? Or maybe at school or wherever it is that you find yourself. Would we strive to love God and to love others well? I want to close with this. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, it's a phenomenal book. If you haven't read it, it's one of the classics you need to, you need to read it. But listen to this. It's kind of a good moment of application for us as we finish up today. He says this, don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. I'll read that again. Don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. 
as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. This week, would we choose to love our neighbors regardless of how we feel about them? Why? So the love of God may grow in us, our love for them may grow, and ultimately that the gospel would be seen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope again that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.